0: Dave Ramsey has seven baby steps, but today we go over 12 toddler steps to achieve financial freedom. How many of you checked off? Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Newman, and welcome back to what is not the typical format for the show. First, I'm bringing on someone pretty special. She just joined the Physician Wealth Services family, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that is my fee-only financial planning firm that works exclusively with physicians. I couldn't be more excited to have her join the firm as she's going to be taking on our new planning program designed just for residents. It's a super affordable way to... Understand your finances during training, tackling student debt, doing a thorough overview of your employer benefits and an insurance review, as well as the creation of a spending plan. Again, super excited to have her join the firm. Now you get to see her in all her awesomeness as she is today's special guest. The real reason why this show is unique, though, is that we're not going to have a journal club. I know, I know, sad face. But turn that frown upside down because today's entire show is a journal club. I found this awesome article on drbreatheasyfinance.com and I loved it. He takes Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps and creates 12 toddler steps, genius. So Casey and I go step-by-step and we're gonna talk about each one of these briefly. I'll make sure to link the article that we're referencing on the blog at financialresidency.com. Okay, let's jump right in and get this started with my new BFF, Casey. Casey, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here with me.
1: I'm super excited to have joined the team, not on the best coast, out here on the East Coast, but uh happy to be part of the team and can't wait to uh join you today.
0: Yeah, I, I'm happy you acknowledged on recording that you're on the, the not the best coast. <laughs> it's, it's official. All good. It's official. It's all good. So today we're gonna to be discussing an article, and I usually do a journal club at the end of an interview, but I thought this article that Dr. Breathe Easy Finance at drbreathefinance.com had called the 12 toddler steps to financial freedom was actually a really good article that we could actually talk through in length and make a whole show out of this. So it's a little bit different format. And we brought you on the show. So I think uh, just it's going to be unique overall. So the first thing that he points out is you can't out earn foolishness. And that was a quote that actually Dave Ramsey had said that he ended up liking and I actually really like it as well. Casey, can you think of a story that maybe kind of highlights that you can't out earn foolishness.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as you said, that's a great quote. And it's hard to not think you can't out earn the situation that you're putting yourself into, especially when you're in a career that you're delaying the start of life and and other things to get your training and education under your belt. So, you know, starting to live off an income that you're expecting off into the future is one way that people tend to maybe set up an expensive lifestyle that they're not really ready for yet. So it's important to make sure that uh, you have a plan in place before you start to go down a path that's not going to be one that you can, you know, earn enough income to continue to support.
0: Yeah. And, and we typically see like residents that'll come out or, you know, maybe 10, maybe 15,000 of credit card debt. And I can be sympathetic and I can understand that just going through it myself, through residency of three years and then fellowship of three years, like with my wife, it makes total sense. But for those that come out with eighty, ninety, hundred, hundred and twenty thousand $120,000 of credit card or personal loans, in addition to student debt, I mean, you've really lived off the now and said, oh, we'll pay it later. And that, that's a hard one, you know, to live off future income. So that's what comes to mind when I read that quote, which I, I think is a great example.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Adding to that debt load is tough. So if you can keep it minimal, that's better.
0: Yeah, it's ideal. So we've got the 12 steps. Let's start going through them. So the first step here is to pay off all credit cards.
1: Completely agree. (laughs) Consumer debt, you know, is not a great way to be able to get started in tackling the rest of that student loan debt, the quicker we can get out from under that. And again, sort of just shifting that mindset away from using the credit card as a way to pay for things is just going to get you back on track even faster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So some of the the things that, and i like some actionable tips to come out. So some of the things even that we do for planning clients. So if you've got credit card debt and you can't transfer, let's say to 0% 0% APR or, you know, one of those type of credit cards, which could be open. Another option is that, you know, you might be able to refinance through something like Best Egg or Lending Club or Prosper, depending on your credit score. And yeah, that's still high credit debt. But when you're taking a credit card at, let's be generous, 20% and you refinance it to 8 or 9%, that's still a significant savings. Obviously, we would you know be saying, let's allocate more money towards that if you possibly could which hopefully you can. But I think that's a first start. Is there any other things that you might uh, think of or like to to add for actionable tips?
1: Not using them anymore. So it's one thing to create a plan to pay them down. And it's really important that they're not getting used along the way. That can, again, just snowball things into uh, making it more and more difficult to get out from under it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one we have here is have the minimum required emergency fund And they said roughly $1,000.
1: I think, you know, again, this just goes hand in hand. If we're able to build that emergency fund up more quickly, all the better, but not uh, by way of giving up that debt pay down strategy. So make sure you have, you know, a little bit of emergency savings so we can cut those credit cards up and be sure that's not where you're reaching. But ultimately, just focusing on that debt load is really important uh, once you get started. And that'll help you not create that lavish lifestyle that we talked about in the beginning.
0: Absolutely. So most people, when they look at a credit card, they either view it as like, this is an easy tool for me to get rewards and cash back or travel or whatever. And sometimes even manufacturing spending comes in. Now I'm not saying that's for everyone who has this, but that does actually come into play. And when we, Start to basically create an emergency fund. I think a thousand dollars is too little. Obviously, start somewhere. But again, looking at Dave Ramsey's demographic, it's not physicians. He's actually had some historically horrible advice to physicians. There was one guy uh, that I'd wrote on, and uh, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. They give just horrible student loan advice. This poor guy. But I would say uh, the goal would be is you know three to six months, and that's something we'll talk later. But just having something there to where your credit card is not. The emergency fund because that's not its design. That's not what it should be used for. So I like the idea that you're saying, "Hey, let's just not use it and go back to debit card system or an envelope system." There's tools out there like YNAB that can help you organize, Mint personal capital, lots of good stuff out there. Um, I just ran into a company called Stratus that I think they're doing some really good stuff in that kind of space. So building up an emergency fund, and I would target a little more than a thousand but that's kind of where they left it here. The third one that they talked about was refinancing your loans.
1: This is a big one that, you know, as we work through student loan debt with most of our clients, it's really important to make sure you're not paying too high for the cost of your borrowing. So if you're not going to be eligible for public service loan forgiveness, this is absolutely something that you you know will want to consider just to cut down on the amount of interest that you're paying over the term of that loan and, and get out from under that debt even more quickly. You know, mm-hmm. the theme of, of what we continue to, to chat on here. Absolutely looking at refinance options. There's a lot of great companies out there, Credible, SoFi, some of the same names that you talked on with the personal loan refinance and just getting out from under that debt by cutting our interest rate and shortening the term if we can handle an increase in that payment.
0: Absolutely. And again, and the next one we're going to be talking on is, is paying off debt with an interest rate above 5%. But if anyone is out there, like my wife, you know, her weighted average on her student debt was six I think, eight percent And that still is quite high. I, I think it's a racket with all the student debt and we've got a huge problem coming in that, but refinancing debt. So that could be the high interest credit card debt. That could be your student debt. I wouldn't be looking at, you know, consolidating, you know, wrapping in auto loans and things because those tend to be much lower. So being smart about what you end up refinancing in the article, he does reference. One of the things that Dave says is to pay off all debt and then different ways to do that, whether it's the snowball method, which is what they use. So Casey, how about you just break down? Most people know the small snowball method, but why don't you just break it down for them?
1: Yeah. So the snowball method is really taking an inventory of all debt that you have outstanding and starting to pay off the one with the smallest balance most aggressively until that one is paid off. And then you'll go ahead and take the payment that you were making to that loan and start applying it to the next credit card with the second highest balance and so on and so forth until you get through paying all of those loans down. That's how the snowball approach would work.
0: Yep. And so Dr. Breathe easy basically said, Hey, look, I'm really smart. I get mathematics that doesn't work for me. And so the other way to do this, and this is actually the way that I would recommend and prefer, because while there's some behavioral piece to the debt snowball mathematics works the other way. So I'd, I'd like to go the debt avalanche method and basically take the highest interest rate, whether it's the biggest balance or the smallest balance. I don't really care. I want to go after what's the highest interest rate I want to tackle that first and then work our way down. So, you know, let's just talk an example would be credit cards at 20% and let's go the exact opposite end and have auto loans at 1%. I'm not, even though my auto loans, the smaller balance, I'm not going to go tackle that. I'm going to go tackle the credit card debt, even if it's the bigger balance, because that will actually save us the most money. They wrote the here, more
1: expensive um, cost of borrowing. Absolutely. It's going to cost you more in the long run.
0: Yep. I mean, obviously the goal is to have no debt and to become financially free and all that great stuff, but you know, how do you get there? There's a thousand different ways. I choose the way where we pay the least amount of interest. So the next one down here is to pay off any loans with an interest rate of 5%. And I think we've really covered that piece. So let's go to the next one, which is to utilize your employer 401k up to the match. And if you have any money left, then invest in a Roth IRA.
1: I think this is a tricky one for people earning a high income, especially. Mm -hmm. I do agree with the first part of that statement, you never want to leave free money on the table. So even if you're finding it hard to get up to the maximum contribution inside of your retirement plan, you should definitely be taking advantage of any match that's out there. So Ultimately, maxing out and getting up to the full contribution that the IRS allows is the true goal. Investing in a Roth IRA, just sort of back to the general audience that uh, maybe Dave Ramsey was writing these rules for originally, was Mm -hmm. in a different income earning demographic. And ultimately, most physicians that are earning a significant income are really going to benefit from investing in the traditional portion of their 401k and saving in taxes today. Although I do agree with investing in a Roth, that's going to be after they've maxed out their maximum contribution into their 401k and retirement plans that they have available to them through their employer. And since many of them will phase out of that ability to contribute to directly to a Roth IRA, they will be able to take advantage through the backdoor strategy, which means they can contribute to a non-deductible IRA and then convert it over.
0: Yep, absolutely. In in 2018, the balances uh, that you can contribute, I should say, the amount is uh, 18500 to your, let's say, 401k. And for an IRA, it's 5500 But the IRS has just upped that for 2019. So we're looking at 19000 and 6000 Yay. Yay, a little always bit more good money. good to see a little increase. Yeah. I was, I'm hoping always, like, I know it's never going to happen, but I'm always hoping for a little bit more. So the sixth thing here is to now pay off the rest of your debts.
1: I think that's really a personal financial planning decision. Everybody's situation is different. Um, If the cost of borrowing that money is not high and you have other savings goals, it can be great to start to fund those, depending on if you haven't had a chance to, to get to that level yet. After your consumer and student loan debt is paid off, if you still have a mortgage that has a really great interest rate, meaning a low interest rate that you're not paying significant amounts of interest on. I think there can be, you know, a lot of reasons to not pay that down ahead of time. If there are other things that you're trying to accomplish as in maxing out your 401k plan, you know, if you haven't gotten to that point yet, uh, that's where I would really start to focus my attention as opposed to paying down all of all of your debts.
0: Yeah, I I tend to agree with this one. I look at it a couple different ways. One is, let's say that you're, you're putting so much money away that you have a taxable account, you've got your your basically your pre-tax accounts, and inside your taxable account, let's just say you're pretty a conservative or a balanced investor, and you've got like 50% stock, 50% bonds, but your home mortgage is a 30 year fixed at five or five and a half percent. I might be looking at it going, well, debt pay down might not look that bad if you decide, hey, I'm gonna start paying down my mortgage early, but instead of investing in bonds, I'm basically just investing quote unquote in the house and paying off that early. And then, you know, your stock portion is basically then invested. That would make more sense to me. There's lots of ways that you can, you know, some people are just really debt adverse and yeah, the best advice for them so they could sleep at night is just let's just pay down the debts. We've got clients that have interest rates, sub 3% on their student debt. I don't think it's a wise decision to go on and pay those off. If even if they are maxing all their pre-tax stuff. Uh, we can put that money better to use other ways. So I guess, you know, it's a very loaded question, I guess we should say in our financial planning world, but still there's no, I don't think wrong answers. You know, if you're deciding to pay down all your debt, I I still think that's a good idea here. We kind of actually talked on this one, Gacy, and it's basically maxing out your retirement savings. Why don't you just uh, maybe go into a little bit detail on, on maybe what they're talking about here.
1: Yeah, so maxing out your retirement savings, getting up to that 18500 in 2018 or $19,000 in 2019 is a must. That has to happen in order for you to achieve your long-term goals in terms of retiring. It's never going to be easy to get that started, especially right after your residency and fellowship and training and just starting to get that income that you've been looking forward to and wanting to do other things with it. Maxing out uh, might not seem like the most ideal place to put it, but you have to get started there. Uh, there's never going to be a better time when you're starting a family or buying your first home. Those are not going to make it easier to get to that point. So as soon as you can do it, the earlier, the better. And once you're there, then you can start to really funnel money into other other buckets.
0: Yeah. And again, this is really personal and like where you're at in your course of training or or your spouses in the course of training. I know that when Taylor was in residency and fellowship, we were putting money and we actually couldn't afford to max out for both her and I, her 403B, my 401k and our IRAs. We just, we couldn't afford it at the time, but we did amass some investments throughout her training. And we decided, Hey, look, our, our income is never going to be lower than Basically, her finer fellowships. So, we actually converted our stuff over to our Roths. If I look at it now, and and <laughs> she's going to listen to this and be like, Yeah, thanks. You know, she just <laughs> started, made me do it. <laughs> she just started with her new employer. And, it, you know, she's got basically, she can put, you know, 18.5 in the TSP and she's only going to have, you know, three months of income with them. But really, I mean, it, you can't do anything for two pay periods. So really she's got four pay periods left and I'm making her max out the TSP. So her paycheck's gonna be like nothing. And she's going to work and then gonna feel like she's not gaining anything even though I keep telling her she is. But that is important to maximize our retirement accounts. It's a big deal. It's how I don't wanna pay more tax than I'd have to. And I get to essentially pay myself by investing. So for us, it was more important. I can understand you know, your first year out of training that it'd be tough to do but it's important. And the power of compounding is insane. It's like the, the system. It's, it's just amazing. And there's, some, you can probably Google it and, and find some examples of just how it can really work in your benefit.
1: Taylor's future self. will thank you very much for that.
0: That's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> it's only debatable. I love you, honey. Don't be mad. Um, okay. So the next one is to boost up your emergency savings to three to six months.
1: For a physician, this is going to be more important to get to more quickly. Your expenses and lifestyle, you know, it's just important to make sure that you have something put away in the case that the car breaks down or things that, you know, just aren't put into your everyday budget and spending plan we don't have to pull the credit card back out for those things. So as soon as you can get to a level where you have that emergency savings built up, there's really no reason to build additional cash. We're not earning a lot on our cash these days. So we do want to be careful about having too much of it, but having at least a little bit of a a slush fund to tap into for either the rainy day things or just the emergencies that come up um, is just an important way to make sure that we don't end up going backwards in our plan and just keeps us on track.
0: What's interesting here is, so I I tend to look at this as like, you've got three months. If you're in a really stable job, obviously your careers are are somewhat, I'd say fairly stable, but if you're brand new to the job and you just started your first one of training, let's try to go a little higher than three months. Um, You never know if you're going to like it. I don't remember the statistic on it, but quite a high percentage of uh, new attendings ended up leaving their, their first job within a few years. So having a little bit more cushion there. It's interesting because most people don't equate this, but like the more you spend, the more emergency savings you actually need. If you're spending $10,000 a month, you know, and we're saying, let's say you're in a stable job, that's $30,000 in emergency fund. If you're spending 20,000 in a month, that's 60,000 to 120,000 in emergency. Now, if an emergency happened, I don't know anyone that would have an emergency and need 120,000. So obviously you wouldn't want to keep all that in cash but regardless of what it is you could turn around and invest some of that in maybe more secure things and then you know if something did happen liquidate the trades move the money it only takes like 5 days but i tend to look at it as like if you're in a more stable career uh your job's great 3 months is probably going to be fine six months if everything's kind of up in the air. And if there's other health reasons, you couldn't get disability coverage or term coverage or your situation's really rocky. Just keep piling money into cash until your situation is more stable. The next one here is our ninth one. Invest in your children's education.
1: I always think this question is interesting from clients and it's a very personal decision as it relates to their goals for saving for their children's education And I think that that's one that is really important to make sure that you don't put ahead of yourself. It can be hard not to do that. We all love our kids. We want to save for their future and provide for them in every which way that we possibly can. But as we know, and it's kind of cliche, but it's truly the case that there is no such thing as financial aid for your retirement You guys know it well that they'll have an ability to borrow in order to fund their education if that's the route that needs to be taken. And at that point, if you're retired and able to help them from a cash flow standpoint, that would be great. Uh, But to save ahead of time or before you're ready, before you're maxing out your retirement accounts and saving for your future it's something to put on the back burner for a little bit, uh, you know, just to get things squared away and make sure that you guys have a good, solid foundation. And then think about, you know, how you might be able to provide for their education. You're already doing a lot with putting a roof over their head and feeding them a couple meals a day if they're lucky. And uh, if, they're lucky. They're, if they're lucky. And then uh, their education will be something that can be planned for uh, when the time is right.
0: Yeah, no one could see us, but we're laughing when we said that. <laughs> just so people don't think we're like horrible, evil people.
1: Yeah. Of course not. They can eat. <laughs>
0: if they're lucky. So with that, I tend to look at it as like exactly like you said. You can't put debt on your retirement. You can put debt on their education. Take care of yourself first. Make sure everything that you're doing is right. If there's money left over. You know, we've we've had instances where clients are doing everything right, but there's just not money left over. And they decided, hey, look, we'd rather eat out less And, you know, instead of spending $400 a month in a we'll spend 200. And that 200 is going to go to our, you know, our kids 529s. We don't have to go too much into 529s. If you guys want to listen on on a show all about that, I did a show with um, Abby Chow, the founder of college backer back earlier this year. So you can go check that out. But I tend to look at it as, you know, we were, you know, looking at uh, UCSD in-state tuition. Our kid is four years old. That's going to be $400,000. Like as a nation, we have, some problems here of how much college is just, it's growing at like 8% over inflation. I don't know how sustainable that is. I guess as long as the government's writing the open-ended check and people are willing to borrow, you know, it's going to keep going up. But sit down and understand how much do you really want to cover? Is this part of undergrad? Is it all of undergrad and grad or medical school? Or how much do you really want to fund? And when you get to how much money is left over every month, as long as you're saving for yourself, then allocate some to your kids. And I would do it in the appropriate accounts and and all that stuff. The next one, our 10th one here, it just says build wealth, save a third of your income, or at least strive to.
1: Absolutely, and that's the ultimate goal, right? So we're probably not gonna be able to start there, which is okay. We'll start with the uh, little bit of savings into our emergency account to get started. And as soon as we can get up to a level where we're saving at least 25 percent of our income, which is what we tell our clients, that's really what we're what we're striving for. So I don't think anybody should get worried or concerned if that's not where they're out uh, right out of the gate, because most of us aren't. But that's really where we want to get to and um, you know, then establishing your investments accordingly so that your money starts to work for you, which is why we said a couple of different times making sure that you don't just start saving too much in, in just cash accounts. You get to a point where you start to invest that money and let it work for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have if you were sitting on, on a bunch of cash, but
1: Yes, very true. You know, very we, true.
0: <laughs> we, as I'm sitting here in my large pile of money now. I wish, but at the same time uh you know if you're looking at it and saving a third yeah we we tell clients you know, hey, try to save twenty five percent of your of your, at least your take home pay that's the minimum goal that we're gonna try to get to, and to go a little bit further, you know we typically say like fixed expenses fifty percent or less, you know your variable expenses twenty five percent or less, and hopefully you're paying yourself first this exact you know exactly what we're talking about here is twenty five percent or more is kind of the the stages for people um listening so they can kind of get a, a glimpse of what we're what we're trying to, to tell everyone, at least um from a, a bar to strive for. The next one here is to give. Basically it says at any stage above to give if you're able to.
1: Being philanthropic is something that everybody gets benefit from at some point. I think it's great to involve some type of a family plan towards our charitable giving although that's just it, have a plan for it. Sometimes it can be hard. We're out and about, we get solicited for donations to different things all the time and having a plan for really what's most important to you and your family in terms of those causes that you want to use your hard-earned money for is really what's most important is just having a plan ahead of time so that you don't get caught up in Donating to a hundred different things and really not making an impact anywhere, you know, be thoughtful being philanthropic is great, but do it in a meaningful way that you feel good about and the charity obviously will benefit from.
0: Yeah. I think the only two things I'd add here is time is your most precious resource and giving time while well, doesn't actually come out of your, your pocketbook, if you will, it's definitely your most precious resource. So giving away time is, is also something that's charitable and the other one is donor advised funds. That is a way that you might be able to, if you've got, you know, you're actually doing what number 10 says and building wealth, uh, you might be able to donate appreciated stock. There's a whole different way of, of doing it. I'm sure you can Google. And I think we're going to be writing something on donor advised funds here pretty soon. Uh, so check out financialresidency.com uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about that. The last one here is optional payoff mortgage.
1: So this is ultimate debt freedom, which is a great goal to have. And we've talked on it a little bit already during the show today. So if we can get to a point where we are maxing out all of our other savings goals, we are investing, we're building wealth, we are philanthropic, and we still have money left over, being debt free is a great place to get to as quickly as we can. So I think that. It's optional, as you know. we've talked about in terms of your long-term investing, likely providing you with more in terms of earnings. But if you get to a point where, again, you're able to do all of the things that you want to in your financial plan and still able to throw more at the, at the mortgage, then you're going to, again, guarantee yourself that return by paying off that interest even more quickly. So that's financial freedom at its finest.
0: That's where we want all of you listening to get there. So if you're not there yet, it's okay. We're working there. We're all going to get there together. So to do a quick recap here, you can't out-earn foolishness. So here's the 12 toddler steps to financial freedom from drbreathefinance.com. Pay all credit cards. Have a minimum required emergency fund of $1,000. Refinance your loans. Pay off any loan with interest rate greater than 5% utilize your employer 401k up to the match. And if you have money left over, invest in a Roth. Now pay off the rest of your debts. Number seven, to maximize your retirement savings. Number eight, boost up your emergency savings to three to six months. Number nine, invest in your children's future education. Number 10, my favorite to build wealth and save a third of your income. Number 11, to give back. And number 12, it's optional to pay off your mortgage. I don't think that's optional. I think that's mandatory in order to hit financial freedom. There are your 12 steps. Casey, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything you'd like to leave everyone with some wisdom, even though you've given us 12 great tips of wisdom already? Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: No, I would just say your plan is truly your plan. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, Focus on what's most important to you and just stick with it.
0: I love it. And I always say, you know, live out your ideal life. And if you don't know what that looks like, break out a pen and paper, go back to the show that Taylor and I had done, where we discussed the three questions of what was really important to us. We revisit it every year. We won't be doing a show on it this year, but go back, listen to that, and hopefully you can plan out what your ideal life would look like. Casey, thanks again for being on and for putting up with me every day now.
1: Uh, he makes it sound much worse than it is it's been great I appreciate you having me thanks so much
0: it's torture trust me (laughs) I'm curious how many of you guys were able to check off some of that stuff hopefully quite a few of you so come hang out let us know over at the financial residency community group on Facebook at financialresidency.com slash community and tell us what's going on Hey guys, listen up real quick. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I'm glad you came here to learn and get excited about your finances though. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your situation, and you're not going to get that from this podcast. So consult your attorney, CPA, or heck me, a fee-only financial planner to help you get on your feet the right way. Our guest next week is a superhero, literally. Like many of you, he saves lives, but this time he saved a life of a close family member. So I can't wait to have you meet him all next week. Until next time, cheers.